Stories of the human spirit. Candid conversations about action, passion, and love. The law of action is about living in balance, moving forward with momentum in inspired action. Overcome challenges, create success, amplify your life, and achieve things you never thought possible. It's all waiting for you. If you're ready to break through your fears and live your life in massive action, this is the show for you. He's a best-selling author, speaker, advisor, your host, Mr. Action himself, Rob Actis. Welcome to the show, Action Takers. Glad to have you here. Living the Law of Action is based on my book, The Law of Action. And I love to connect with the movers and shakers of the world who are passionate about the good they do for others and who listen to their hearts, taking inspired action every single day. If this is your first time joining us or you've been with us for a while, I want to personally thank you for listening in and being here. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Living the Law of Action show on your favorite podcast platform. Now on this show, my guests, well, they're incredible. People who are forces for good in the world around them and live a life of inspired action. My guest today, well, he does just that. Today, John J. Wiley and I discuss how to take action during and after life's traumas. If you want to learn how to embrace a different career later in life, learn how John took action after getting injured on the police force and how he has started a great life and career in radio and podcasting, this is the show for you. My friend, John J. Wiley is a retired injured police sergeant been a radio broadcaster for 20 years, launched a podcast in 2017, which is now syndicated on 49 radio stations and growing Law Enforcement Today radio show. And of course, his podcast, John, welcome to the Living Live Action Show. Rob, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you as always. And, you know, I love being a guest on your show. I love connecting with you. <laughs> Somehow or another, I think we're brothers from other mothers. I'm not quite sure. I know. I love it. I do. I know. I love it. Well, you know, radio people, we tend to stick together. So I'm just happy to have you here. Now, you know, we went really deep in Life Transformation Radio and talked about your career in law enforcement and what you overcome. Today is is a little bit lighter and it's more about all about the action that we take, the the action that we break through our fear and we we move in massive momentum and we take action. So I'd like to go back all the way um, to your police career. And, you know, let's talk about what got you to take action to be a police officer. Well, How did that happen? Was it something you want to be like a little boy or what happened? No, actually, I, I wanted to be a priest first. I was in a Catholic high school seminary and I thought about becoming oh, a priest. Wow. And I went, I, I casually say I went on a date with a young lady and some Miller Lite and whatever, <laughs> and earth, wind and fire. And I realized then that celibacy was not my calling. So, uh, shortly after that, thank I you, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> shortly after that, I'm a fellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's great. Okay, so you're not going to be a priest. You decide I'm going to go into. That's it. Okay, priest, law enforcement. Okay, I'll 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 bite. Go ahead. How you actually, do that? I, I'm not. I thought I was a bit of an anomaly, and turns out I'm not. There's quite a few people that. I've met since then that went into law enforcement that considered uh, ministry, whether it be Catholic priesthood, rabbis, whatever it might be. And they, they went into it because it's a service field. And yeah, there's a lot of rah-rah and adrenaline and testosterone and driving big, powerful cars and having a gun on your hip and all that stuff. But really what it boils down right. to is 99% of the time, it's about trying to make life better for people and solve their problems. 
Um, and I think that's why I went into it. Um, and, you know, truth is, Rob, when I was 18 and got out of high school and I realized at college, I majored drinking and minored in sociology and I got a 4.0 on my major and a DNF on my minor. I should have gone in the Navy and not been a, a pain on my parents' side. Done something like that until I was 21, then gone into law enforcement. Um, but I was doing odd jobs. To build that foundation. Yeah. To build that foundation. You know, it's about yeah. something we're talking about. It's about putting a brick in the wall. It's only about putting a brick right. in the wall and building your future. Absolutely. Um, so I was driving uh, a job one day in Baltimore. I saw that uh, Baltimore Police Department was hiring. I called them. I went. I filled the application, took the test, had the psychological, had the interview. And they said, you're hired. We want you to start on Monday. And we're doing odd jobs. Say what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing odd jobs, and it's before the academy started. I was 20 years old, and oh, okay. I, I okay. had no idea, and the academy was about six months long. Uh, it was quite the adventure. It really was. I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that would be an adventure. So when you're in there, you know, there are people that, you know, you kind of like fell into law enforcement. Then there's the other people that have like, it's been their life's passion. Like, they have wanted to do it since the beginning of time. Now, what was that like? In, in the academy where you are up against those people, like, you know what I'm talking about. They, they, this is their life and they give it everything and more than they like instead of like, you know, this is a job. This is their, their calling. Right. How, how did, how did that, how did that make you succeed or failure in your, well, your academy? I, I graduated number two of my class and it was very, very close between me and the number one. Um, and I, you know, I was a lousy student in high school. I was uh, a knucklehead. Right. I was a lousy student in college. I didn't think I'd do well. Uh, and we started the academy class with about 55 officers. I think we graduated 22. Uh, a lot of people wash out. A lot of people don't qualify. A lot of people get pulled out and they don't make it. Absolutely. Um, but there was a, and a that's lot a good of, thing. It's a very good thing. But there was a lot of fear. Yeah. It was like, am I really capable of doing this job? And Baltimore back then had a very tough, violent reputation. It still does. Uh, am I tough enough? Do I have the willpower enough? Do I have the intellect? Uh, all those things right. were always gnawing at the back of my head. Wow. And you did it. Like you, how did you, so when you were having fearful moments and you're in the academy, how did you overcome that fear to keep driving instead of like, like, did you ever think, you know what, I'm just going to quit? Was it that hard? Did you ever, did you ever want to quit? No, I never wanted to quit. I wanted it so badly at that point. Uh, and, you know, a funny thing happened, Rob. Somewhere along the line, when we started the academy, we wore the regular uniform shirts and khaki pants. And right. somewhere along the line, I began to realize the legacy of men and women who had served before me and many that had died and many that were maimed. Uh, and I had right. an obligation to do this. And I had the skill set. You know, I didn't know I was good at it until I started doing it. If I listened to the self-doubt, I never would have gotten a first step in place. It's the old saying, the fear of what you don't know. Well, I didn't know that I would turn out to be really, really good at this. That's, a, that's awesome. That's awesome. So so as you progressed and you you graduated, congratulations on being the second in your class. That's very impressive. And you didn't you didn't drop out. Where did where did life take you then? What was it like? Speaking of fear, the first day. I mean, I remember Adam Twelve. I'm sure you know Adam Twelve, one of my favorite shows. But the first day that Reed was on the street with Malloy, 
So what was that like the first day that you were on the street? Were you fearful? Were you excited? Were you like, you know, you're like a bird flying from the nest. I know you're well-trained, but still, you know, you're a rookie. What what was that like? Well, you know, the first day in any job is really, really hard because you don't know where anything is. You don't know anybody. Right. You don't know what is expected of you. You know, I thought I knew a lot coming out of the academy. I remember driving my personal vehicle. The first shift was a midnight shift. Uh, and it was uh, late spring. And there were so many people on the street, on the street corners. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And it was a really, really tough, violent neighborhood. Uh, but it was like four of us that were assigned that day and we showed up, we got called in and this is who your, your sergeant's going to be. This is what shift you're on. Right. Uh, and do what they tell you to do. It's very structured. Do- There's an SOP, yeah. standard operating procedure, very structured. And, and that's important that way. Wow. So what was it like your first interaction? If you remember, what was your like your first interaction with the civilian and you being a sworn police officer? Well, I, like how? I, I'll tell you, first thing was the first couple of days I got to ride with someone. Then I was given a car. Uh, well, you show up, you take, you believe you're, you're the guy before you, you're given a battery, you put in a radio, a map. Wow. And my very, a map. Yeah. Oh my God. You didn't think about that. Yeah. Wow. Cause you have to know, and you don't even know no. the neighborhood. And you're like, you know, there's a, there's an emergency on, you know, 2017, uh, you know, radio way. And you're like, Oh, and so I love a map. A lot of people that are listening today um, can't even fathom that we didn't have, you know, you know, hey, Siri. Oh, where yeah. Do I go? And it was like a photocopy of a map. It wasn't even a real map. It was a photocopy. The very first call I got, Rob, I never made it there. I couldn't find it. I All the 10 codes I thought I knew in the Academy, what does that mean? I don't know. They're saying, do this, do that. I have no idea what you want. Wow. Now, I think it's a little bit different now. I think it's almost like autopilot. I think they're with all those computers and everything in there. I think it pretty much guides you where you need to go. Well, but what was it like for your first interaction? So finally, you were lost most of the time. (laughs) Wrong way, John. But where were you? What was it like to first interact? And was there fear when you first interacted with someone like a bad guy? Like someone who you had to like you know, interact with. No, I really didn't have time to be fearful. Uh, the, the, the big fear was, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do something wrong. I don't want to right, uh, right. lock somebody up that shouldn't be locked up. All those sorts of things are always going through your mind. But the truth is, Rob, it came at you so fast and was nonstop that you didn't have time really to think about it. It was always after that you wanted second guessing yourself. I remember being a rookie police, and you always tell the rookie police in Baltimore because they had the really razor-sharp creases. They're skinny. They got perfect haircuts. (laughs) I jokingly say they don't have mustard and ketchup stains on their shirts. Uh, And you're very polite to everybody. And people will mock you, and they won't listen to anything you say until you wind up using what we called verbal judo, which was harsh language. So an old-timer came up to me and said, listen, that's not how you talk to people. If you want to get their attention, and by the way, if they're disrespecting you on the street in front of other people, you cannot back down. Um, right. But that was the main thing is always treat people with respect, especially in front of their friends and especially in their house until they change the tone of the conversation. Once they change the tone of the conversation, they become disrespectful to you. You have a job right. to do and you cannot back down. So uh, as a young rookie, you got an indoctrination. I got punched hit, threatened, 
uh, very, very quickly. And you got to the point where you're like, okay, if that's how it's going to be, then I've got to adapt if I want to survive. Right. Wow. Well, you made it through there. Um, unfortunately, you had an incident where you got injured and uh, I'm glad you're okay. Now, from there, and you, reti- you retired uh, injured as a police sergeant and she had a great career. And then from there, you kind of had a, a, a drop, big. like a kind of a rock bottom. Yeah, it was big. I was Let's 33. Just touch on it. Yeah. And I was uh, just a young yeah. man, just a young yeah. at 33. I've been retired now almost wow. 30 years from that, that career. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. People don't realize. You can reset and reset and reset. Absolutely. Now, radio has been all in my blood forever, as it's in your blood. And, you know, I reset. You know, now I'm a I'm podcaster. Right. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I coach people and, and do mindset. And really, it's a lot different than what I was doing when I was selling copiers for Minolta many, many years ago. So you can always reset. You can always reset. So you had a big, big fall. Yeah. Because... It was traumatic. What happened? I mean, just in a brief, in a brief scenario, just kind of catch, catch me up to speed of exactly well, what happened. You're, you were arresting a bad yeah, guy. I'll, I'll kind of preface it with, I was in four officer involved shootings in a little over 10 years. And the wow. first two were so fast. Um, and contrary to what people are told and they believe, I never fired a shot back because he knew immediately the threat was over. And that's what you went by. Um, they were all apprehended, arrested, not a big deal. The third one was a man who was wanted for murder. He hit me head on in a stolen Corvette that he stole from the victim. Uh, A gunfight in the middle of the street. uh, And I really hurt my back on that one. And the last one was a a guy in a stolen car that had a bunch of crack cocaine. And before he wrecked, he was reaching around the car. I thought I was going for a weapon. So I pulled up my service revolver. That's how long ago it was. And I had him down on the ground and was getting ready to holster a revolver to cuff him. And before I could get it reholstered, he pushed me and him off the ground. Uh, He was like Lawrence Taylor back in his prime uh, and was screaming at the top of his lungs. And the fight was on. And he got a hold of my service weapon while still in my hand, had it twisted towards my face and was firing off rounds. Uh, So fortunately, I had six rounds. If it was a semi-automatic with 14 or 15 one of us probably would have been dead. Uh, as I said in wow. the earlier interview, a thought came to my mind that number two thoughts, number one is, why is he doing this to me? He doesn't even know who I am. It's a very personal attack on you as an individual. But secondly was, right. this guy's trying to kill me. Uh, I'm going to die, but it's not going to be tonight. And it won't be because of him. And I was prepared at that point to do whatever it took to survive. Uh, fortunately, we both did. I thought I sprained my wrist in the process, and I've had three surgeries, two steel plates, a total fusion of my right hand and wrist, and the base of my right thumb, and was retired at the age of 33. Uh, so I'm physically disabled, and I was dealing with post-traumatic stress and a lot of, uh, I guess, it's unfair well, how life I'll was. Be honest, so, well, okay, so I was in an armed robbery a long time ago, and I had a 357 Magnum put to my forehead. That was really scary. They didn't shoot. And that was a revolver, but they didn't sh- shoot. And I wasn't in it. I got a little. <clears throat> yeah, it's still there. Um, very scary. Mm-hmm. I can only, I can't even, you know what? I can't only imagine. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be in an altercation, physical altercation with someone where their intent, you know, his intent was to scare me. It wasn't going to kill me. And I figured that out. His intent was to scare me. It worked. Uh, 
his, your intent, well, the assailant's intent for you was, was to take your life. And that is a whole different thing. I can't imagine six shots. So, you know, I'm in Arizona. We have guns, shoot guns, have guns, and they're loud. I can't imagine what that would be right at your face. And I would imagine that that would have some serious PTSD involved yeah. in it. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot there. You know, I think back to when I was in that armed robbery situation, especially, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Like everything you've seen in the movies and stuff, it's scary. You know, you see people and they're like, a gun gets pointed at them and they don't react. It's scary. <laughs> it's, you know what a gun can do. Yeah, so, it's, it will yeah. change the way you look at things. Uh, for me, it did. Uh, when you know someone's trying to, to end your life. Um, and yeah. the, the really surprising thing is, Rob, is I'm a very peaceful guy. I don't consider myself to be a violent guy. Violence is not my number one reaction to anything. But I learned that. Well, yeah, man, you're a radio personality in Key West, Florida. Like, yeah. hey, man. <laughs> we'll I'm a pretty laid back guy. Minute, but I know, I when love push it. comes to shove, I think a lot of us, we're capable of far more than we know we are. And when it comes to summoning out from inside you some very primitive self-defense violence, uh, it kind of, oh, yeah. it really creates people's term moral injury. Um, but the other thing is we're capable of accomplishing far more than we ever realized if we stop thinking about it. So when I stopped thinking about that incident and all the other traumas and started focusing, all right, what do I do with my life now? Because this is not what I wanted. Uh, I'm not right. happy with how it is. I don't like how I am. I don't like how it impacted my daughters, my now ex-wife. I don't like any of it. And I was very disappointed in myself. So at 33, uh, say, say six, seven years later, I moved to Florida. I decided to start pursuing a career in broadcasting. Uh, and those little demons in your head tell you, Man, you suck. No one's going to be interested in you. You're not. Who do you think yeah. you are? Howard yeah. Stern? Yeah. You're not a guy. Well, that's pretty impressive to be, um, you know, getting into radio back, you know, back, back when you did and at the age you did, because I got into radio when I was like 19 and it's something that I always wanted to do. And, you know, I'm always amazed at people that just kind of fall into radio because it's not easy to yeah. fall into. It's not, you know, I started, I was blessed. I started at B100 in San Diego, the number one radio station and worked my way up from a receptionist and switchboard operator to being on the air and having a really highly rated, you know, show. Um, it's rare. It's very competitive and it's, it's crazy now. I mean, we can have a whole show on just the abuse of people in radio today. And you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. And my radio fan, my radio people that are listening right now, they definitely know, but you know, it's, it gets in your blood and, uh, I, I love that. So I'm glad you had the transition to that. So from that, did you go right into radio? So your, your crash, uh, you know, losing a wife and all the, all the trauma that you experienced and then you rebuild. Was that when you went into radio? In 97, 98, I moved to, uh, Palm Beach County, Florida. And that's what I was getting out. That's so and funny. I, I got a. I got out. I, you know, relay. I hand, did the high five. So here you go, yeah. John. You can Passed take over for me, brother. I passed the baton. Exactly. I actually started exactly. by doing uh, a recorded talk show. It's called uh, Biker Bros. And it was a motorcycle theme thing. That. And we did it via the internet <laughs> in early days of, I guess you'd say now because they're podcasting. And then transitioned right. to Biker Talk Radio. 
I got a broker time slot at a broker station, fell in love with radio, sold her own advertising. Then I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting at night to learn all the equipment. And I've been working in radio full time ever since as a music jock. Uh, I love the entertainment right. factor. I love the community service part of it. I love being part of yeah. the thought that, you know, I could be in someone's ear when they're driving to work. And they could be having a lousy day. And after saw hands mm-hmm. and I say something really stupid and maybe they smile for just a moment, forget about their troubles, makes it worthwhile to me. We definitely are brothers from another mother. That's exactly. I used to do a lot of community service work, a lot of work with charities and MC and, and firemen auctions and all that stuff. And I, it's the one thing I used to think about was on the radio is like, wow, I wonder, you know, people call in on the request line. And you think, you know, they tell you what they're doing and you're thinking, you know, you're there and you're bringing joy to their right. life. You're saying one thing. You know, I, you know, I had uh, a song play the other day. I was doing this app with my wife and it's called, I don't know what it is. It's a couple's app and you go back and forth, but it said, what's your favorite, you know, what favorite slow song reminds you of your partner? And I immediately go, Oh, always in forever by heat wave. Like that's my song. Like that's it. And so we were laying there and, and, uh, I, I put it on Siri and she's like, I've never, I never knew that was a song. I go, listen to the words. This is, this is the words. And so you think about that. So, um, we were, I was tuning in on uh, Spotify the other day and we just, you know, older, older uh, jams, Ramonic slow jams. And that came on and it just brought smile yeah. to my face. When you hear song, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And, and being in radio, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, a lot of podcasters are kind of feeling what it feels like. But when you crank on the mic, like, it's funny because, you know, you and I being in broadcasting, we get on for this podcast and a lot of people like, you know, chit chat and stuff for a long time to get warmed up. I think we were maybe just talking like, are you ready? Let's go. It's like one minute. Like it, it, it's, it's super fun that way. And, uh, yeah, I, I love radio. As you can tell, I get all lit up when we talk about radio. So that's like super cool. So, all right. How did you do this? So how did you just fall into radio? Well, like I said, I went to night school and um, okay. then I wound up, I was 44 when I started night school and everybody else like 20, 21, 19. Oh, yeah, I'm like, absolutely. I'm grandpa, they're calling me geezer and everything else. Like, okay. You know, I had an idea of who I wanted to be and what kind of impact I wanted to have. And I remember my first full-time job was in the mountains of Pennsylvania at a country station. Uh, I did afternoon drive as between State College, New York and Buffalo, uh, State College, Pennsylvania and Buffalo, New York. As wintertime, my wife just mentioned it last night because when she dropped me off, it was opening day of deer season with uh, rifles and everybody was hunting. So at 3 o'clock, 3.30, it starts snowing and everybody leave. It'd just be me playing depressing music. And my wife was in Florida. I'm in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm going, I'm eating McDonald's every day and ramen noodles. <laughs> But I knew where I, went, where I wanted to go. And that was part of the, putting a brick in the wall to where I needed to be. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, just like comedians, when you, I was very blessed, I, I will. I'm so humbled that I was able to start in San Diego and finish in San Diego. And a lot of people work their whole right. lives to get to a major market. And I started there. And so with comedians, they have to go to all these just, you know, stay in a Motel Six, and they're they're at Sammy's gas station doing comedy, and you have to really pay your dues, and it's a it's a lot, and you're making. You know, people that wanted to get into San Diego radio lived in Barstow. They moved to Barstow, California, which is population like, I don't know, 605. I don't know how small it is, but you start small. Mm-hmm. 
and then you work your way up. So yeah, you're doing deer season with deer season with depression. Oh, depression. Playing the most depressing music <laughs> in the world. I'm like, I can't take it. I can still do the weather forecast oh, by yeah. memory. Seventy percent chance of showers, three to two inches, uh, two to three inches of height. Uh, lows seventeen, <laughs> highs twenty eight. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, mine with San Diego is night, morning, low clouds and fog, sunshine in the afternoons, highs in the 70s, inland valleys might reach 80 degrees. This is B100. I mean, that was the weather. It was San yeah. Diego. So, you know, that's, that's just the way yeah. it was. It was great. I loved every minute of it. And I've also done mornings outside of Gainesville, Florida on a hot AC station. And, you know, it's funny. You mentioned uh, Heat Wave and other songs like that. Oh, we would play yes. you know, a lot of the the, the the more recent music and then throw in a classic from the Isley Brothers. We play some couple of them. Wow. We throw in one from Earth, Wind, and Fire. And the phones wow. would light up wow. when we played the wow. old stuff. Yeah. And oh, they put yeah. me on, after doing mornings, they brought me back from noon to one to do what we call the Midday Cafe, which is all requests. Because the guy before, he wasn't having much luck. He'd get maybe two, three calls. Within less than a week, I had more requests every day than I had time for. And they got saved the next day. Yeah. And they were requesting. When you interact with the listeners. It. Yeah. When you, hey, oh yeah. I, so I remember the song I used to play all the time was, uh, I'll take you there by the staple oh, singers. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I just remember, I was an oldie station. I just remember playing that song and I crank it up so loud. Look it up. Look it up. The staple singers. I'll take you there. It's just great. And then, of course, I was an oldie. So I used to play American Pie. I used to sneak that in when I was doing overnights. And that was, and I don't know, man, those program directors, they're up in the middle of the night. How? They catch you. They're listening. They are super oh, my, sneaky. You do one thing a little oh, bit man. off, they catch you. They're both oh. the phone ringing. Oh, no. Norman, Norman Greenbaum. Spirit in the, the sky. Spirit in yeah. the sky. It's a do not play. And I played it. And But why would you have it in the studio? If it says do not play and it's there and it says do not play. That's like having a box well, of Oreo cookies at your house. Don't eat. They're for visitors only. Yeah. Those yeah. are gone. Those are gone. <laughs> I know. So you got your, you got out of the deer and then you made it to Florida. Yeah, I did mornings in Florida. Uh, and then I did uh classic rock outside of Washington, DC in Southern Maryland for about five years of area where I spent uh, most of my teenage years. And it was great going back home. I would love to be, you know, I spent most of my life in Norfolk, Virginia as a kid. So I'd love to be radio in your hometown like you did. That's something special. It doesn't happen often. Oh, yeah, it was cool. It was it was really cool because I had uh, um, all the kids that I went to high school with, even elementary school. Hey, is this the same Rob Actus that went to Bell Benchley Elementary? Yeah. Oh my God. Cause I wanted to be in radio when I was a little kid. So they were like, whoa, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, yeah, a, a dream come true. And it inspired a lot of people because I got to live my, my dream. And that was, that was super right. cool. Um, you know, we did our high school reunion. I wasn't able to go cause it was ratings week and my boss wouldn't let me go, but all they were, they were all listening to my show. Um, at the reunion kind of sucked. It wasn't at the reunion, but it was kind of fun that they were listening right. to me and that was, that was that was pretty cool. So, how did you break through your fear to go from you know to go from a little market to a larger market? That that causes that causes fear, and you feel unworthy, and you feel like the imposter syndrome and all that stuff. What what got you the drive to take that action? Oh, I'd love to tell you that I just did it anyway, and that's part of it. That's an oversimplification. Part of it is 
You got to get clear. You you have you have to just you gotta deep do it. And, number one, number right. two. Well, that's easy to say, but what I'm saying is you have to. It's a concentrated yeah, effort. Yeah. Even if you say you're just going to just jump out of a plane, you have to decide, plan, and act like you're jumping right. out of the plane. And the hardest part is getting in the, the plane action. and flying up there because I'm not doing that part of it. I, I, I know it's coming. Uh, but the other part was I would listen to, I, I had the mindset a lot of people radio have. And it's like, man, if I just get the morning job in the big market, I'll, I'll have my future set. Well, I started listening to the morning jocks at the big and the syndicated jocks and going, they're not that good. And they got a whole staff and I'm doing this by myself every day, 24, right. every break. Oh, yeah. You know, it's easy to do a great break once or twice or three times. Try doing it every 10 minutes for 15 years and, and with no help. Oh, yeah. and see how easy it is. It's not easy at all. Uh, but I realized that, number one, at my age and the incestuous, really tight knit family of radio, I right. wasn't getting that opportunity, number one. Exactly. Number two, right. I was putting my my welfare, my dreams in control of someone else, which who I didn't know, which is ridiculous. And number three, the people that I was trying to place were not that good, but I was not going to get a shot. So uh, right. kind of like you suck it up and do it anyway. Say, if so-and-so can do what he does, and I'll give you an example. I'm not saying it's bad. He's really good, actually. If Howard Constern can do what he does, there's absolutely no reason logically that I can't accomplish 10% of what he does. Exactly. 10% is a lot. And Howard Stern, look, and a radio person, Howard Stern is absolutely truly brilliant. Oh, yeah. And the thing about people don't know about Howard Stern, and I find this fast. I just found out about this. Do you know how much of a staff he has to run his no show? No idea. About 125 you know people. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's incredible. You know, people think it just happens. And, and what's brilliant about the Howard Stern show is that it sounds like it's so off right. the cuff. But it's not. It's not. No. And not yeah. at all. It's extremely well produced. Like it's, it's, it's a work yeah. of art. It truly is a work of art. He's, he's brilliant in what he's done. You know, if you want to learn more about Howard Stern, I would recommend that private parts. It's his story. And he struggled for and years. It's true. He got fired from he so many struggles. stations. Rush Limbaugh. He was an overnight oh, success. Yeah. Exactly. Rush Limbaugh yeah. got fired from his first, I think, four stations. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's so many people that are really, really good at what they do that I can learn from. And that's what I had to do is go back to my memory banks. The, the, the morning jocks I listened to growing up as a kid. What do they do? Yeah, it's different nowadays, but I can learn from them and I can get some motivation from them. Right. And it's passion. Mm -hmm. It's passion. And, and listeners can tell when you're working a job or you're there for them. You yeah. can tell. You can tell the jocks that are on five, six, seven stations and they're just running tracks. Yep. There's a difference between running tracks and really delivering for your audience. And I, I can tell right now that and I've listened to your show that you definitely like you're all mm -hmm. in. Like you're there and you're trying to engage with the listeners, even though you're running yeah. tracks, which yeah. is amazing. I, I pre-record so, my show from this is something I try to get through to a lot of podcasters too, Rob. So many of the big radio corporations in the United States are getting rid of their studios and they're having people do like you remote shows of yeah. voice track from home yeah. that can sound like they're live, sound like they really give a damn, like they're having a conversation with someone. One listener, just one listener, not 3,000. You talk one to one. Exactly. And it's an opportunity for, for all these people to do this. You know, one of the things I know you relate to, 
Uh, I, I love being on air in the Florida Keys uh, on WKYZ FM. I love it. Um, I love radio. But the day I quit or uh, left a job, I stopped earning a check from that agency. No matter how much work I put into it, when that show was over, I wouldn't get yeah. paid anymore. Podcasting. Right. Oh, my goodness. Now you can build something that you can earn revenue on six, seven, eight years down the road. You can take a vacation for three months. Yeah. People need to understand there's lots of opportunity. And this thing called the Internet, it's a great equalizer. If you've got ambition, you'll learn the talent. You'll learn experience. But I always say this. I'd rather take someone with ambition and passion and then train them how to do the job because I can't train ambition and passion as someone who doesn't have it. Exactly. And there's only like there's under three million podcasts that are active right. right now. It's like two and a half million, 2.7 million. So wide open, wide open and tremendous opportunity. It's cool. Now, speaking of podcasts, you have Law Enforcement Today radio right, show and right. podcast. Now, that was another thing. So you created that. You had your life and momentum. You were taking inspired action. How did that come about? Well, I wanted to take what I learned from radio and apply it to podcasting and also my experience in law enforcement and create a show. And the very beginning is very niche down. It was for law enforcement officers only, their family members and survivors from law enforcement officers, right. their family members or survivors. And that was it. Uh, and I had made a partnership deal with someone who had a really, really big Facebook presence in the law enforcement realm. At the time, he had about 630,000 people liked and followed his page. And a radio station in upstate New York heard an episode we did with a now retired officer named Stacy West. She was shot multiple times as a rookie. Uh, we had the 911 audio her communication with wow. the dispatcher. And he said, we want this for radio. Can you convert it? We did. Um, I should say I did. Uh, I do have a silent partner, but this is my enterprise. And we self-syndicated for 13 stations. Now we have a syndicator talk media network. We're on 50 stations now. We hope to be announcing two to three more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then it goes online as a podcast. Uh, so the radio is a Great way to drive traffic to your podcast, your website, your email newsletter, your social media. All those things are great tools. The podcast is a different beast. It's something that has unlimited potential, but you've always got to be pivoting and adjusting. You can do things in a podcast you right. can't do in radio, obviously, because of right. format and stations. Uh, but for me, it's a... a it's a win-win proposition all the way across the board. My goal is to get to 100 stations within the next two years and get in the top half half percent podcast worldwide. I do know, I remember you had a conversation. We went to Listen Notes and said, I'm a top yeah. 1% podcast. You're like, so am I. I'm going to find out what the listener rating is. Did you look at mine? Which, uh, what's your listener rating? Oh, you beat me by <laughs> two. Oh, <laughs> But you know what? It's gone up. I was at 32, yeah. so I'm up to 45. So Isn't that that's, nice to that's build a great thing. And you're improving, you're increasing, it and is. you're growing your listener base. Yeah, the thing about radio is I love it, I love it, I love it. But if your show's on a certain time at a certain station, if people live beyond that listening area, they can't hear it. But the right. podcast, one of my biggest fans Everywhere. is a 16-year-old teenager in Sweden. Most of our listeners in the United States, but it's amazing. And she emails me all the time, and I love it. That's so cool. 
That's so cool. John, you're so cool. My brother from another mother uh, hanging out here today on the Living the Law of Action show. You definitely are an inspiring man and you definitely live a life of inspired action. If you want to reach out to John, just like that guy in Sweden, you can reach him. Now, remember, his show is Law Enforcement Today Radio. So it's L-E-T for Law Enforcement Today. So his website is www.letradioshow.com. And if I can do to help anybody anytime, please let me know. And by the way, our guests now, we've expanded greatly. We have about 60% of all of our guests are victims of crime, military, other first responders, law enforcement officers, their family members, survivors, talking about trauma they went through, how it impacted their lives, and what they did to create their new lives afterwards. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's a big, big part of the show. And that's inspiration that we can all take and apply to our lives no matter where we're at. I love it. John, thank you so much for being here today on the Living the Law of Action show. My pleasure, Rob. Remember, get busy. We had an old saying, get busy living or get busy dying. So if you want, if you don't like the life you have, keep doing what you're doing or keep getting what you're getting. If you want a different life, do things different. Even if a little green guy in your head says you won't accomplish it, do it anyway. Absolutely. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy and precious day to listen to the show. We so appreciate it. Thank you for allowing me, along with my very special guest, John J. Wiley, to touch your heart, move your soul, inspire you. Remember, take time out to breathe. Don't let fear stop you. Decide, plan, and act. Live a life of massive, inspired action. You got this. I'm Rob Axis. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Living the Law of Action show with Mr. Action, Rob Actus. Please rate, review, and subscribe.